0: The reading today is from Matthew, chapter 18, starting at verse 21, which you can find on page 985 of the Church Bibles. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, and all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. "'You wicked servant,' he said, "'I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. "'Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you?' In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Great, well... Do keep that passage open in front of you, uh, because we'll be referring back to it. So page 985 and 986. Thank you, by the way, to those who provided cakes and coffee at the start. It's lovely to... We don't do that, normally have coffee and cake at the beginning. I mean, it's a lovely thing to do. I also think it's slightly cruel as well on you because then we feed you, you know, feed you coffee and then expect you to sit through a service um, and through me speaking as well. And, well, if during it you need the loot, feel free to head out the doors through the hall or, you know, to the left. So, um, you know, don't, don't be shy about doing that if you need to. It's our fault. We give you coffee as you arrive. Let me begin by praying for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. And we pray, please, as we think about the subject of forgiveness, as we look at that passage that was read, we pray that you would open our eyes to the glories in your word. Help us to be ready to listen and to learn from you. Amen. So we're thinking this morning about forgiveness. I gave this talk the title, Can We Really Forgive and Forget? Uh, It's an important subject, and it's one that's important because uh, in our culture, in the world around us, the idea of forgiveness feels like a slightly alien thing. And it feels like it is increasingly becoming something which people are uncomfortable with and think maybe even that forgiveness is the wrong thing to do. Um, just over a year ago, on the 6th of March 2022, it was Forgiveness Sunday in the Eastern Orthodox churches. It was also a few days after Russia had invaded Ukraine. And if you remember, at that point, Volodymyr Zelensky gave a speech on Forgiveness Sunday And throughout that speech, he repeatedly said, we will not forgive. This is one of the things he said. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will punish everyone who committed atrocities in this war on our land. And that wasn't the only time he said, we will not forgive. It was a line which came back over and over again. And we can sympathize with that, can't we? Actually, there were were a lot of atrocities committed. There still are. And the message seems clear there that to forgive would be wrong. So should we forgive? I want to acknowledge from the start that it may be that you've come here this morning feeling this is very personal for you, that there are those who have done you wrong and you're questioning, can I forgive? Can I really? Should I? Maybe for others here, it's a bit more at arm's length. Maybe it's a bit more looking at the world scene and seeing things like uh, how Russia has invaded Ukraine, but other places in the world. And we question, should we forgive? Well, some will say forgiving those who do wrong only encourages them to do more and worse things. So whether it's on a global scale or in our own lives, should we forgive? That's what we're looking at. Some are outraged by the idea of forgiveness. And therefore, I'm sure we've noticed in our culture, there is more and more anger. You particularly get it if you're in social media that you see people are angry. Well, this is a big subject, the issue of forgiveness, and there's a lot in the Bible about forgiveness. We just had a reading from Matthew 18. Like I said, if you, can, if you can, please have that one open in front of you, because I'm going to refer to that story a lot. We're going to dig into that. In this incident, at the beginning, it says that Peter, who's one of Jesus' closest followers, came to Jesus and asked him a question about forgiveness. So in verse 21, to page 985, verse 21 bottom right hand corner there, it says then Peter came to Jesus and asked, "Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to 7 times?" Now, uh, Peter there is saying, look, okay, there must be limits. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Uh, maybe yes, I should forgive, but isn't there a limit? What should that limit be? Is 7 times? Enough. Now, let's be fair to Peter, seven times is a lot. If someone does something against you repeatedly, I mean, if they do it repeatedly two or three times, we would be pretty irked by that, wouldn't we? But Peter is saying, well, maybe seven, that feels quite generous. And maybe we, and certainly our culture around us, would say, that is very generous, seven times? And yet Jesus comes back, doesn't he, by saying... I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, he's not really saying, okay, yes, there's a limit, and that limit is 77. Jesus is saying, uh, no, it's infinite. Uh, it's, It's as many times as it happens. That's how many times you should forgive. And then he tells a story. And in that story, there is a moment of outrage. I wonder if you spotted it just cast your eyes down you've got to turn the page for this verse 31 there is a moment of outrage when the onlookers are outraged at what's going on it says there and this is towards the end of the story when the other servants saw servants saw what had happened they were outraged and went and told their master now what's causing outrage in this story well, it isn't forgiveness. What makes the outrage in this story, what makes the servants outraged is unforgiveness. That there is someone here who doesn't forgive. Now, this is, our, this is what we're going to look at this morning. Our culture, it feels like, says we should be outraged if someone forgives. Jesus tells a story in which the onlookers, and he's drawing us into this story, he's saying actually we should be outraged that someone doesn't forgive. So how is that possible? What is Jesus telling us? What goes on in this story such that actually we should join in with these fellow servants and say it's outrageous if someone doesn't forgive? Well, let's see what happens in this story if the story started at verse 28 we're kind of working our way backwards if the story started at verse 28 there would be no outrage at unforgiveness have a look verse 28 uh, you meet a servant if you start at this point there is a servant who is owed by a fellow servant a hundred silver coins that's what it says in verse 28 isn't it a hundred silver coins Now, more literally, that's a hundred denarii. That's what it says at the bottom of the page. Uh, Now, we need to note that uh, a denarius was a day's wage. So this is a hundred denarii, that's a hundred days' wages. Now, that's a significant amount of money, isn't it? In today's culture, going by what the Office for National Statistics says, a hundred days' wages would be about £10,000, Roughly. So that is a significant amount of money. So if you've got here someone who is owed £10,000, that's a lot. And what happens is this person then wants their money back. Well, that's reasonable, isn't it? He grabs the person and begins to choke him. Okay, that's a bit extreme. But nevertheless, he says, pay back what you owe me. Okay, fair enough. His fellow servant falls to his knees, verse 29, and begs him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But, verse 30, he refuses. And you go, well, yeah, I mean, £10,000, maybe, yeah, that's all right, to refuse and say, yeah, I want the money back. And had him thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Well, that's the way they did things. Now, if that's all there was in the story, no one would be outraged. But it's at this point that all the fellow servants are outraged. What's going on? Why is everyone outraged that this man, who is owed £10,000, doesn't cancel the debt, demands it back? Why is everyone outraged at this? Because, you see, this is the position that we're in. When someone wrongs us, they owe us something. That's what this is saying, this and elsewhere, to say, that if someone wrongs you, you are owed something. There is justice that should be done. You're owed something. And we feel if we are wronged, that person should pay me back in some way. It may not be financial, but it may be in reputation or it may be in other ways that we want justice, we want payback. So why the outrage from the fellow servants? And the answer is the backstory. What happened before this? So we're doing the story the wrong way round, aren't we? We're reading it backwards, which is not the way you should read stories. I'm reading an Agatha Christie at the moment. If I read it backwards, that would be ridiculous and would wreck the story. So we shouldn't really do that. We should start at the beginning of the story, shouldn't we? And if we start at the beginning of the story, we get the backstory story before we get to this point. So there are three things that I want you to see in the backstory, in what happens before this moment, that make all the difference, which mean that we will join with the servants and be outraged that this guy didn't cancel the debt. Three things I want you to spot. Let's start at the beginning of the story. And the story begins, you've got to go back a page, page 985, verse 23, bottom right-hand corner of the page. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. So our first thing to notice is Jesus sets up the story with a king. And that's the first point. The king. The first person mentioned is not the man. It is not the other servant. The first person mentioned is the king and his kingdom and clearly as we go through the story the king represents God so all that happens in the story everything that goes on from now on is within the context of this kingship the kingship of the king and within his kingdom and you'll notice that all the characters are servants they relate to the king as his servants. That is the context, that is uh, the way that this whole thing is set up. And Jesus is saying this applies to, the con- to us too. The context of our lives is that we live them under God. We are in his world and live our lives with accountability to him. That one day there will be a settling of accounts. We live under God and are accountable to him. It's a bit like um, our legal system. Uh, if you go into Kingston from here, you go past the Crown Court, don't you? And I have it on good authority because I asked Cara earlier. That the case is... This isn't because she has to go there a lot. It's because she was a solicitor. That's why I asked her. Um, that the cases tried in the Crown Court are always the Crown versus the defendant. Okay, I'm seeing one or two nods go, yeah, oh, you got that right, Bart. Okay, the Crown Court, it's always the Crown versus the defendant, even if someone has committed murder or, you know, something else against another person. It is never that person against the other person. It's always the crown versus the defendant, which reinforces to us, actually, that even though someone might commit a crime against another person, actually, the thing is, you're you're under the crown, and you're answerable to the crown. Uh, And you'll be tried by, and it's you versus the crown. In God's world, we are under God and accountable to him. That's what Jesus is saying. So even when we do things against another person, that is still under God and we are accountable to him and will be called to account. That is the world we live in. Now, there might be some here... Maybe, uh, maybe, who would say, look, I'm not even all that sure that there is a God. It's all very well Jesus saying, look, we live in the king's world and we're under under him. But maybe you even struggle with the idea that there is a God, that there is a king. If that's you, I, 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 it's great that you're here. Whether you're in person or watching online, it's great that you're here. Can I just suggest to you, actually, you have a problem when dealing with this subject as well. Of course, the Bible does present us with evidence for the existence of God, and I would love you to engage with that. But actually, by saying there is no God, if that is you, you do have problems as well in this area, in this area of justice and forgiveness. And actually, your problems actually come more on the side of justice. Now, at this point, I'm not going to get into this in a big way. I really want to encourage you to get hold of this book. Uh, It is called The Air We Breathe. Um, if, If you're a Christian and you haven't read it, you really should. If you're not a Christian, if you're questioning Christianity, again, you really should read this book. It is absolutely brilliant. And in it, the author, Glenn Scrivener, shows us that some things that we consider to be, well, just obvious... Things like equality uh, and justice, fairness, uh, uh, and uh, that everyone should be under the same rule of law. Uh, There are various things that he picks out and says actually they're not that obvious. Sorry, human rights and equality were two of the things that he picks out. Human rights and equality, things we, they're just part of the air we breathe. We think, of course, there should be human rights, there should be equality, there should be justice. These are the key things in justice, aren't they? And we think, well, they're obvious. But he points out to say, actually, without God, they aren't that obvious. In fact, without God, it would be more obvious to believe that the strong should dominate the weak. And therefore, that there is no really good reason to object to those who hurt us or commit atrocities. Without God, we have no real reason to demand justice or to expect it will happen. Now, for more on that, get the book. It is absolute bargain. We aren't selling this, Uh, but Robin, who's a member of our church family, works for the Good Book Company, he's got a stack of these books that you can buy. They're five pounds each, and that is a bargain. I would encourage you, urge you to get that uh, and to read it. Now, like I say, the Bible does give us good evidence for the existence of God, and that one day accounts will be settled. The big place to see that evidence is the resurrection of Jesus. I want to encourage you, to come back to our services over Easter to see more of that evidence. So, Jesus begins by speaking about the king. We need to get into the rest of the story, don't we? He talks about the king. The second significant feature of the story is the debt. When the king goes, goes to settle accounts, he finds this man, one of his servants... And he settles accounts and he finds that this man has a huge debt. So verse 23, we're getting a bit of feedback there, aren't we, Ken? We're just getting a little bit of ringing. So verse 23, "Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts ooh, uh, with his servants." He began settling uh, he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now this is the servant who later on is owed money. This man owes the king 10,000 bags of gold. Now again, you could go down to the bottom of the page, and you can see that is the equivalent of 10 well, that is 10,000 talents, literally. And a talent, we're told at the bottom of the page, is worth about 20 years of a day labourer's wages. So, 10,000 talents, I worked it out, don't check my maths, uh, is worth today about 8 billion pounds. And you wonder, how on earth did a servant rack up that much debt? But that isn't the point of the story. The point is... It is a vast sum of money, utterly unpayable. This servant is never going to be able to pay it back. It is enormous. In fact, some have argued since the talent was the highest denomination of currency, and since 10,000 was the highest number for which, in the Greek language, there was a specific word, therefore the point is it's an infinite, immeasurable debt that is owed. And the king, or master, once uh, we are told, says that the man and his wife and children are going to have to be sold to pay the debt. And the man pleads with the king, verse 26, he says, he falls on his knees and says, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. Now that line is a ridiculous line, isn't it? He is never going to be able to pay it back. But he pleads with the king. Now just pause there. What is Jesus saying about people today what is he saying about us he is saying that if God the king were to settle accounts with any one of us we would find that we have a huge debt and this isn't just saying we owe God everything because everything that we have and everything that we are is a gift from God it's not actually saying that because the debts in this story are to do with wrongdoings aren't they it's about forgiveness for wrongs and therefore the debt that we owe god this infinite debt is it is saying we have wronged god we've all wronged god in whose world we live if it were not the crown versus you or me but god versus you or me the list of charges would be enormous the evidence against us would be compelling Now, you might question that. You might say, is that really right? If on judgment day I come before God and God says, you know, let's judge it, would would there really be charges against you? If you doubt this, uh, just go through this thought experiment with me. I can't remember who first suggested this way of of thinking about things, but I think it's really helpful. They said, well, you may question whether God would bring charges against you. Actually, you would bring charges against you. The thought experiment is this, imagine if there was an invisible recording device around your neck and it is on you throughout the whole of your life and every time you tell someone else how they ought to live, it records. So when you say, you ought to, it clicks on and records what you say. It records your own moral standards. And then let's say on judgment day, God says, well, you know, I, I mean, this wouldn't happen, but imagine God says, well, I won't judge you by my standards. I'll judge you by your standards. And the tape is played every time you've said you ought to. How would you fare? The answer is none of us would pass the test, would be. Our lives don't match up to our own standards, let alone the standards of a perfect God. And on top of that, not only do we not match up to God's standards, we live our lives, for the most part, ignoring God and ignoring his kingship. We live not with God as God of our lives, as king of our lives, but with something else as king of our lives, often ourselves. So we commit cosmic treason against God the reality is that for each one of us the debt we have is enormous it is unpayable and so we need to see the third thing which is the forgiveness verse 27 the servant's master took pity on him cancelled the debt and let him go And that is a wonderful verse, let's just unpack it very quickly. It says, the master, the king, took pity on him. That is, his heart went out to him. Even though the debt was utterly unpayable, his heart went out to him. And he cancelled the debt. Now here is the heart of forgiveness. This explains forgiveness. The king cancels the debt that the servant owes. And when he does that, notice that the king is saying he will deal with the debt himself. That is significant. If you owe me money and I say, that's all right, I'll wipe that debt out. What I'm actually saying is, I will absorb that debt. I'm not actually just saying, oh, never mind, it doesn't really matter. I'm actually saying, I will absorb that debt. And that is what forgiveness is. And incredibly, the incredible thing that Jesus is saying is, God is saying, he is prepared to forgive us the debt. Which doesn't merely mean, as I say, it doesn't mean God merely saying, oh, don't worry about it, that doesn't matter. Forgiveness never means saying it doesn't matter. No, for God to forgive the debt we owe him means him saying he will absorb the debt himself. It costs God. What does it cost God? Not 10,000 talents. Actually, it cost God his son. We need to look at the cross. The debt we owe was being paid when Jesus died on the cross. As he hung dying on the cross, he shouted out. And he didn't shout out, My hands, my hands. He didn't shout out, my feet, my feet, although they would have been in agony. And he didn't shout out, my God, my God, why are they doing this to me? He shouted out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was being forsaken by God, though he himself had done nothing wrong. But he was there in our place. If we are in doubt as to how serious our state is before God, we can look at the cross and see what it cost God to deal with our wrongs. That's what it costs God to forgive, to absorb our debt. Forgiveness is not easy, it was not easy for God. And then it says, the king let the servant go. That is, the relationship is restored. No debt is now owed. And the Bible says, that is what God holds out to each of us. Jesus paid the debt for us such that if we will come to him, the price can be paid for you and me. So that we can be completely and utterly debt-free before God. Totally forgiven for any and all wrongs. And that is the backstory. The king, the debt, and the forgiveness. Now do you see what difference it makes to verse 28 onwards. This servant who has had an infinite amount of money wiped clean from from his account, the the debt completely gone, now comes to someone who owes him £10,000. How should he respond? It would be outrageous if he did not wipe that debt clean. We should feel it would be outrageous... But in the story, he doesn't wipe the debt clean. And the king hears about it. And the servant is thrown in prison. And the warning is there for us at the end of the passage. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. There is a warning there, isn't there? This is how God will treat us unless we forgive others. Which is not saying that forgiving others somehow earns God's forgiveness. No, that isn't how the story works, is it? It's not that the king says, uh, well, I'll forgive you if you forgive someone else, if you forgive others. No, rather, if someone has already has really understood their debt to the king, what it costs God to forgive them, they would forgive. So if we won't forgive, it shows we haven't actually appreciated and taken hold of the forgiveness God offers us. If our debt is wiped out through Jesus' death, we will seek to wipe out the debt of others. Which doesn't mean that you don't pursue justice. Uh, This is subject for another talk, I'm afraid. But that doesn't mean that you don't pursue justice. You can forgive and pursue justice. Actually, the Bible encourages us to do both. In fact, it says you need to do both. But that, like I say, is a heading, a title for another time. So to answer the question, the question that we said ourselves this morning, can we really forgive and forget? The answer is we can forgive. It can be very hard, but as we said, forgiveness isn't easy. But it is possible. The power to do so comes from knowing your debt that you owe God and knowing it being wiped out through Jesus' death, through his love for you poured out on the cross. As he died in your place. If you look to the cross. If I look to the cross. That is where we can find the power. To then forgive others. Can we forget? Well. That isn't something Jesus commands. And it's not actually something that we can do. Can't just forget. But we can forgive. If we know God's forgiveness of us. So. Will you come to God for the forgiveness that you need to have your debt wiped clean? You could respond to God today on that, but you might want to find out more. Can I encourage you, if you want to find out more, do keep coming back. Come to our Easter services. We mentioned them earlier. There's a flyer in the vestibule. As you leave, do grab one of them. It just tells you when our services are. But do find out more. If after the service you want to ask me questions, do grab me afterwards. Very happy to talk about what's been said. I'm going to just finish with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you deal with subjects that we find hard. In your word, you talk to us about forgiveness. Father, please would you open our eyes to who you are to our debt before you and what it cost you that we could be forgiven. And we pray for each one of us that we would come to you for that forgiveness and that that would transform us, change our hearts and change our lives so that we then can forgive others. Amen.